all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. We're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very pissed off. Well, there's been a lot of stuff going on. I don't know how interesting it's going to be, but there's been a lot of stuff. Uh, So let's dive right in. Uh, Recently, we went to Portland. And if you've never been to the fine city of Portland, nah, don't bother. I mean, unless you need to go to the world's largest bookstore. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Don't know, don't care. Uh, Although, I will say, uh, lovely wife Miriam went to the huge Powell's Books in Portland, and I went to Ground Control, that's Control with a K, uh, the classic gaming arcade, and they're about six blocks away from each other, so it worked out perfectly. Uh, I played myself a little Discs of Tron, uh, the far superior Tron version, uh, which uh, unfortunately I was not able to find in Santa Cruz, but Okay, here's a plus. Here's a reason to go to Portland. By the way, why hasn't one of these motion-controlled gaming companies, the Xbox Connect, PlayStation Move, why aren't they doing Discs of Tron? Oh, my God. So, anyway, for those of you who don't know, uh, I'm not ex- going to explain the movie Tron to you, especially because they, they just did the uh, reboot uh, bio-digital jazz with uh, Bridges. But uh, the uh, the Discs of Tron... Uh, they do a, a thing, um, so they take the aspect of the movie where you fight each other with the discs that are on your back, and you chuck the discs at each other, and you bounce them off the walls and what and whatnot, and the idea is that you're on these little pads, and you're trying to knock the other guy off the pad, but this is the perfect game for uh, motion-controlled gaming. I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, because all you need is left and right movement and then for it to track, you know, your hand. And it's Tron! And uh, I, for one, really like the original Tron. Um, I I shouldn't say that. It's a great movie to uh, put up uh, crown molding to. You know, you've seen it before. You know, it's kind of good noise in the background and then something exciting happens and you're like, yeah, okay, I'll sit down and watch it. But there are a lot of terrible parts to it. Don't get me wrong. But anyway, so uh, I played Discs of Tron up in Portland, but really, Portland does not have much going for it. Uh, it's got a ton of sort of divey strip clubs. And the weird part about the strip clubs, they, they claim, the story I've always heard about Portland is uh, more strip clubs per capita than any other city. And I, for one, believe it because they're everywhere. Uh, but they're everywhere just like everything else is everywhere, right? Like they're everywhere, like restaurants are everywhere. And there doesn't seem to be any kind of zoning or rules about where they can live and not be and whatnot. And, uh, and so, you know, there'll be a row of, you know, uh, used record store, strip club, grocery store, laundromat, you know, and it's just kind of mixed in there. Although I do like the idea of the person who, who centers their, uh, ad, you know, daily adventure around that, right? Like, well, let's see. Uh, I could go get um, uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds 
album for the fourth time on vinyl, and then I'll just walk next door, have a beer at two in the afternoon, and look at some titties, and then I'll get my laundry. Oh, wait a minute. No, what? You know what? I should get the album first, and then do my laundry, and while the laundry's drying, then I'll, I'll, eat, I'll drink the beer and look at titties. Okay, that's, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And so... Uh, other than that, uh, the weather in Portland is kind of crappy. The one, the one thing about Portland is uh, it really embraces the hipster, right? If you're a hipster and you like oddly manicured facial hair and skinny jeans and uh, vinyl and like, hey, screw you, man, with your CDs ruining my whatever, uh, I... I I have a picture um, that I hope maybe I'll I'll make it the the cover picture for this uh, week's podcast. It's a little hard to see when you shrink it down, but basically it's like used record store, memorabilia shop, which is just all like, you know, Star Wars. It's your childhood basically in a shop. So it's all like stuff from the 70s. Like nothing really goes old. That's like Portland's idea of antiques is, uh, is you know, Star Wars figures from 1977. Uh, and then like another record store and then something else I can't remember. But anyway, uh, take, take a look at that image and uh, blow it up in your iTunes or whatever. That's really sort of the heart of Portland. And the reason why, like, people go to Portland is for that. And that is the reason why, I mean, and those people are the reason why that exists. Like, that can't exist any other place because no other economy would support, you know, vinyl shops. I mean, there's like three stores in our little 10-block area that we walked around in. You could get, they sell nothing, nothing but new and used vinyl. That's it. So if you're dying to uh, live out your hipster lifestyle, by all means, make it up to Portland and suffer the weather. Oh, and donuts. Donuts and beer. This is the two, like, things that Portland has embraced. And it must be because everybody out... It must be just they're so outdoorsy in Portland that they're just like, oh, we're going to have donuts and beer, you know, and drink and eat like, you know, 500 calories in donuts and beer and then just go run around all day and work it off. I don't know. It's a, it's a bizarre, weirdo little city, but I, I do not feel the need to encourage people to go there. Oh, also, uh, we went to go see uh, the, the triple bill of Night Ranger, Foreigner, and Journey. Uh, for my birthday. That's right. We'll talk more about my birthday in, in a minute or two. Um, just a quick, uh, I'm not going to recap the show. Uh, well, I'll just give you some, the highlights. Basically, uh, all the bands sounded really good. It was weird because it's kind of on, they are all kind of on the, um, you know, replacements tour. Like, you know, Night Ranger has the most original members. It's missing the keyboard player. Uh, and it's even not even got the same keyboard player from uh, Great White that it had, you know, what, five years ago, whenever we saw him at the county fair. Uh, but it's, you know, so they're, they're the most intact. And then Foreigner, like Mick Jones, I guess that's his name. And like the lead singer, they're gone. And they've got the guy from Hurricane! Hurricane! 
uh, what's his name? Uh, Kelly Hansen. Uh, he's singing for them now. And it's just sort of, I mean, it's, all right, okay. And then Journey, of course, uh, famously uh, broke up with Steve Perry, and so now they've got this dude from the Philippines who they found on YouTube, and and he's good, and he sounds like Steve Perry. His English kind of sucks, and so you're not going to get the um, stage banter that uh, you uh, would expect from a Steve Perry. But, you know, hey, there's probably a bunch of people out there who are like, good, shut up and play the damn song. Um, and, oh, I have to say, though, I, I was pleased with Journey's selection of only one new song, uh, a couple of obscure songs that unless you're a hardcore Journey fan, you wouldn't know. They're not going to play all the hits, and then predominantly the hits. But uh, I have gotten to an age where I think I care more about watching the audience than watching the band, especially at this show, because it was, you know, a bunch of old farts like me in the audience, and then they're kids, and the kids don't want to be there. And there was a, uh, some people right in front of us where the mom was really into everything, every band, every song. She was excited, she was up, she was dancing, and just embarrassed the shit out of her teenage girl. Like, every once in a while, the teenage girl would, like, pull on the mom's arm, like, Mom, stop dancing. Uh. And I just found that endlessly entertaining. Way more entertaining than hot-blooded, uh, the foreigner song, for those of you who don't know. Uh, anyway, oh, the other weirdo thing about uh, the concerts these days is that they all, all the bands have... Uh, graphics behind them of things and images that are vaguely related to the songs, but they're not directly related. Like, they're not of the band. There's, there's not, I mean, there's no guy running around with a video camera and projecting their image so the people in the cheaper seats can see them. It's just sort of weird shit. Like, uh, in Foreigner, they had, um, uh, Dirty White Boys is one of their songs. And they had images of like Elvis Presley and uh, Marlon Brando. And just actually just two images. And then they would just cycle them over and over again. The most embarrassing one was uh, they did Jukebox Hero, which of course is the big hit. And the graphics behind them may have been done by a nine-year-old. I'm going to guess. Just embarrassingly bad graphics. I wish, I, I don't think there's any way to find this online, but it gave me hope because it made me feel like this is a job I could do, right? Like, how fun would this job be, man, where you just make shitty graphics for uh, concerts, you know? And it's like, they can't. You know, it doesn't have to be good, but it's got to be kind of a fun job, especially when it doesn't have to be good and it just can be whatever. But my big beef uh, about the show, which which makes me nuts, and I think I talked about this when we went to go see Def Leppard and I talked about it then, is every band treats every song like it's the finale, right? Like every song is, um, dude. Oh, wait, ju Jukebox Hero is a bad example because that was the uh, the, the, the finale. Um, uh, you can still rock an America! 
And it's like, yes, it's a four and a half minute song with two minutes of drum fills and cymbals and guitar screeches. And it's like, yeah, okay, it's, it's okay just to end the song. And it sort of feels like to me, like it's like a, like a virus that spreads, you know, it's like one, one band sees another band do this and they see the audience react and they're like, Oh, all right. Well, this is a thing we've got to do. And they all did it. Every song. Fortunately, Journey, uh, uh had confetti at the end of, uh, Don't Stop Believing at the encore. So you really knew this is over. We're done. Go home. Lights come on. Confetti goes out. Get out. Oh, my favorite, my favorite quote of the concert. So there was a weirdo behind us, uh, and they, uh, uh, Foreigner had just finished up with uh, Jukebox Hero, big finale. Uh, thank you. Good night. Woo. And, uh, and this guy behind me says, that's why they call it Foreigner. Because you can't get anything that rocks that hard in this country anymore. Yeah. So, a couple of things worth mentioning about uh, individual performances. Um, Night Ranger, they, uh, their big finale was You Can Still Rock in America. And their uh, Night Ranger graphic on the screen behind them switched to all red, white, and blue. And the guitars that they had been playing through the entire show, by the way... How pretentious is it when guys change guitars every song? Now, I get if you are doing alternate tunings, but do you really think your guitar is going out of tune every single song that you need a different guitar? But anyway, Night Ranger played all the same guitars through every single song, but you can still rock in America. They come out with the red, white, and blue guitars. Uh, they have uh, stagehands come running out with American flags that they stick in the sides of the stage. It's, uh, you know, it's like when I complained about on the uh, Def Leppard show where it was like, guys were like, God bless the uh, troops who defend our country. You know, like they didn't really mean it. Like they just threw it on as an afterthought to get, you know, uh, garner cheap applause from the audience. You know, it was sort of like that with the American flags and the thing. It's like, okay, you're not talking about loving America. It's not, you know, like, I'm proud to be an American. No, it's... You, you saying you can rock in America, which is really doesn't have the same value system as, uh, you know, actually loving the country or whatever. But anyway, so they did it and it was fine. Uh, as far as journey goes, everybody got their own solo, which is stupid, especially when the, uh, drummer gets his own solo and nobody even knows who the hell he is. I mean, it's not like he was anybody who's been in the band more than a year. I really think like when, when that happens, I think that's like just the, uh, I know uh, in Sammy Hagar's book, uh, he talked about how uh, he would uh, coordinate with the security and, 
he would pick out a hot chick, and then when Eddie Van Halen would do his solo, he would rush her backstage, she would blow him, he would dump a load, and then run back out on stage. And uh, it's all in Sammy Hagar's book. By the way, that's Sammy Hagar book. I have not read it, uh, but just filled with shit no one cares about, right? Like, he talks about he got... Uh, either he saw an alien or he got abducted by an alien. It's just like, no, 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 no. Listen, Samola, Samoan, uh, the only thing we care about is you in Van Halen, right? And and you've got to have nine billion stories about being in Van Halen. Uh, it's not like uh, you know, you were in it for two weeks, like Gary Sharon. No, you were in it for a while. Tell us all those stories. Nobody cares about. This is the thing about about these autobiographies. Nobody cares about your childhood. Nobody. And in fact, if there is something relevant that's going to come back, you can probably summarize it in two lines. And then from there on out. All we want to hear about is you fucking groupies, because that is, you know, we're living vicariously through you, right? We're not living vicariously through your shitty childhood or your great childhood or whatever childhood. We don't want to hear about it. We just want to hear about you fucking groupies and being like, God damn it, man. That is why what I ex- expire to. Yes, what I expire to. Anyway. So this is every time I hear the band member solo, I'm just like, Someone's fucking a groupie. That is totally what's happening. So anyway, uh, at one point, Jonathan Kane, the keyboard player who replaced Greg Raleigh in 1981, I want to say, uh, and then his first album was the Escape album. Uh, he does a little piano solo because, of course, someone needs a blowjob. And... He, it didn't last very long, actually, and it was, it was nice, whatever, you know, gave a, some people a chance to pee, and, uh, in the audience, that is, uh, and it was, it was kind of nice because he did it, and then he just held up, uh, one finger as if to say, thank you for putting up with my bullshit as I masturbate on this stage. Now I'm going to do the thing that you really want. And then he busted into uh, the opening piano part to Faithfully. Which is nice because, I, I mean, look, hey, I know, I'm reading a shit ton into this. But look, it was, I felt like this is what he was saying. And then the fact that he would acknowledge the fact that, yes, this is not really what you want, but, hey man, necessary evil, and I'm not taking up too much of your time, so let's do it. The weirdest part of uh, the whole journey experience was. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, don't care, or uh, this is in the future, Neil Sean has just run off with Michaela, Michaela, Lilo, Layla, uh, Salahi, the uh, real housewife from Washington, D.C., Wait a minute. Let's just talk about these Real Housewives shows uh, for just a second. Um, I don't understand. Like, I understand the Real Housewives of Hollywood or Beverly Hills because that's like, you know, the center of show business and this is, you know, tons of money and all this stuff. But I don't really care. I don't really care about them. How is it that they have – I mean, what? Uh, we're up to Atlanta – New Jersey, 
Orange County, Beverly Hills, maybe some more. I don't know. I'm just, you know, I, I'm going off of what I read on uh, TVTattle.com. Uh, how they have more than one of these, I don't really understand. But anyway, uh, the Salahis wound up on the Real Housewives of DC because uh, uh, Tariq and Makai Kuku Kakalolaya. Uh, Salahi snuck in to a Washington DC party and there was a big brouhaha and everybody was like, Oh my God, the secret service is falling down. They can't protect the president. You know, these, uh, nobodies and ne'er-do-wells are just, you know, waltzing in, uh, to a Washington DC White House, White House, uh, party. They uh, recruited her to be in the Real Housewives of Washington, D.C. And some ha- something happened, and I guess uh, Neil Sean, the guitar player for Journey, has been friends with the Salahis for a while. And um, um, uh, everything I have read about Neil Sean over the years... Uh, he is a horn dog. Uh, there's a quote online where he says, uh, he, you know, playing guitar, uh, it makes him want to make love to every member of the audience all at once or something like that. And, uh, he's a horny, horny dude. And so basically he has stolen Michiko Kakao, Kakao Salahi away from Tariq and um, during the solo of Any Way You Want It, uh, he walked up the side of the audience, you know, just up one of the steps, and at the end of the song, he made out with her. Very, it was odd, it was strange, it was sort of like, hey, I know there's been lots of stories about me and her, so here she is, and I'm going to prove how much I love her, but we're not going to talk about it. I'm not going to address the crowd. Okay. So as we were leaving the old fart explosion, I I can't remember if I talked about this, but I'm just going to say it now. Uh, This is the only show I have ever been to that not only started on time, it started early, right? Like, the show started at seven. All right. Now, when have you ever heard of a rock and roll show? I don't care. One band, two band, three bands, whatever. Starting at seven, right? Uh, I mean, that is like, and all these bands are 20 plus years old. It's really sort of like they know their demographics. They know it's going to be a bunch of old people who don't want to stay up late. And even still, we wound up getting home really late, but it's still, uh, so, so Night Ranger hits the stage at 6.50. I know, right? I can hear you all gasping collectively. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, it, it was, what really the, the thing that took the longest was getting out of the goddamn parking lot. But, oh, anyway, so while we're in the parking lot, I, I don't know how we got on this topic, but we started talking about, uh, choices. I think it was actually getting out of the parking lot. It was like people were getting confused by which way to go and there were too many choices and they kind of freaked out. And so, um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we were, we were talking about, uh, Miriam was, uh, saying that she read some research where, um, 
people who were offered uh, three jam samples to try and eat uh, at Whole Foods uh, were more likely to buy jam than uh, people who were offered 20 samples of jam. And of course, our, you know, uh, solution to that was like, oh, well, that's because they're just full, right? Like they had eaten 20 jam samples and they were like, I'm done. I was hungry when I came in, but I'm, I don't know, I'm full now. I had oh, all this jam. Oh, I'm so full. I shouldn't have eaten all that jam. But then, uh, so I, the, the guy we were with, Ted, he, uh, so he said something like, oh, yeah, people get blinded by choices. And I just love that. So for, for people who are following me on Twitter, uh, I have a uh, hashtag blinded by choices. And, uh, I, and it was funny because I, there are certain things, uh, I barely have any kind of personality of my own. Like most of it is, I'm like the Borg of personality, which is that song by, uh, in Living Color, and uh, uh, the Borg of Personality. Oh, there's another Vernon who has disappeared. The uh, the Borg of Personality, yeah, because I, I, you know, so much of me is just made up of everything that I've, you know, seen or heard or read or whatnot. But um, once we started talking about uh, the the Borg of Personality, oh no, about Blinded by Choices, uh, I started slipping into my Mitch Hedberg. And for those of you who haven't heard Mitch Hedberg, here's a sample. If you're watching a parade, make sure you stand in one spot. Don't follow it, it never changes. <laughs> and if the parade is boring, run in the opposite direction. You will fast forward the parade. And so, uh, you know... I was just imagining if uh, Mitch uh, Mitch uh, passed away a few years ago uh, before the uh, advent of Twitter. And this guy, you know, everything he said, he was sort of like, um, you know, Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright was the sort of the king of the one-liners for a while and the king of the, the super, super slow delivery. A lot of people are afraid of heights, not me. I'm afraid of widths. But Mitch... Uh, he, he, he sort of, again, uh, stood on the shoulders of giants and, and said, I'm going to do that and I'm going to have a funny cadence and sort of a funny way of delivering it. Uh, and so we, we were sitting in this parking lot waiting to go on and then Ted brought up Blinded by Choices and then I was just started thinking of things, you know, ways. So I was imagining Mitch Hedberg uh, Twittering, because, you know, Twitter, you only get 140 characters, which is perfect for him. Way too many characters for him. And I imagine, uh, you know, Mitch being a guy who is blinded by choices and just uh, tweeting something like, I'm in Baskin Robbins. Stumped again. Hashtag blinded by choices. What do you mean there is a third page to this menu? And everyone's favorite, double-breasted, I just came in for a suit. Anyway, so uh, I know, uh, you know, hey man, I, it's, it's not really stealing jokes because obviously he never wrote that, but yet it's sort of stealing his persona. So there's no way I could ever get up on stage and do this because it's him and it's, he's dead and... Uh, and it would just be wrong. So anyway, this is my gift to you, Internet. Enjoy. Okay, so uh, just a couple of odds and ends about thinking stuff I have been thinking about. 
One uh, was from a, a takeaway that I, I got from uh, meeting those guys from high school that I talked about uh, recently. And one of the guys talked about uh, he is now uh, uh, he has he has been an amazing artist ever since we went to high school together. And I was like, you know, and he said, no, 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 I was not always good at drawing. I mean, I wanted to be good at drawing. And my dad was like, well, okay, then you got to practice. And so he said, yeah, he practiced and he practiced. And he finally, you know, by the time I met him in high school, he was like, yeah, I finally got good at it because I actually worked at it. And I, he said, yeah, he said, like, when he was a kid, he couldn't even draw a straight line. And I, I really felt there's hope. For me, not to be an artist, but the hope that I could change and get better at something, anything would be a treat. Uh, I just have to work at it. And then so now I have to figure out what that is that I can work at. But also, uh, I was also heartened uh, at the same time because uh, there was a clip circling, cycling, making the rounds uh, on uh, YouTube, I think it's YouTube, where uh, Louis C.K. Uh, is giving a talk about George Carlin. And he talked about how he, uh, Louis, was doing the same act for 15 years. And then finally, when, he, I think he saw an interview or maybe a Carlin special or something like that, and he said, oh, okay, maybe maybe I don't have to do the same act. Maybe I can try and get better and get something new. And basically what he figured out was, you know, the things that he didn't want to talk about, that things that made him uncomfortable were exactly the things that he should be talking about rather than sort of these safe topics that hovered on the top. And, you know, he scraped those away and then got into, you know, sort of slightly heavier, but just more just personal stuff. And this is a guy, and which is weird because I had never heard this story. I had only ever heard the Louis does a special every year. And at the end of the special... He never does any of that material again and starts fresh and generates a whole new hour of material every year. And it was weird to hear him talk about the guy who used to hang on to that same crappy material for 15 years. I thought, wow, that's really, that's such a shift. It's such a monumental shift in what his act was and what it is now. I was, I was uh, again, heartened. So one of the other things that happened uh, when I was in uh, Santa Cruz recently, uh, I I was hanging out uh, with me and Alexis Perplexis and uh, one of his friends, and she said, oh, I'll be right back. I want to get something to drink. And then she comes back, and I said, oh, what'd you get? And uh, she said, oh, I got a chai tea. And I looked at her, and I went, of course you did. Now, she took it well, and it was fine, but still, I felt like... God, man, could you just not be an asshole to perfect strangers? Like, can you just wait for them to, like, for you to, like, grind them down for a couple of appearances before you start being a total shit to them? Because we're in Santa Cruz, right? So I just was like, of course you're going to get a chai. It's Santa Cruz. They'd probably shoot you in the head if you ordered anything else. You know, and I was really like... Uh, and she took it fine. She she understood where I was coming from. But boy, it was like, this is again, 
more reason why I need to be in therapy so I don't just come off like a total ass to total strangers. I save my assholeness for the people I know. You're welcome. And totally unrelated to anything, this is just something I wanted to talk about. Um, Lately, I've been thinking about, you know, uh, in characters in movies, right? Like, you know, you have to care about them, you have to like them, but you also have to feel like in order to care about the situation that they're in, there has to be some sort of uh, stakes involved. There has to be some peril, you know, like that's why it's why it's so hard to write uh, Superman movies is because you're like, well, just he would use that power and then that power and then he's everybody's fine, you know. And uh, and so I was saying I was going off on this tirade, I think probably to no one. Probably just in the shower, yelling at the bar of soap again, like I like to do, trying to cram that uh, shampoo bottle up my ass, as I like to do. Uh, And um, I realized, though, my all-time favorite comic actor is Bugs Bunny. And Bugs, the times that he is in Jeopardy, or you feel like... Because in every single Bugs Bunny cartoon, it's just him totally in control, right? Like, he... You never feel like he's in any kind of peril. I mean, sure, Elmer Fudd is pointing a shotgun at his head, and he just leans on the barrel, chaws on the carrot, and asks him what's up. You know? How awesome is that? And yet... That, 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 it, that just wouldn't work for any other character. And this is what's crazy is I'm always stunned when the thing I am so adamant about is totally the opposite when it comes to something I love, right? Like, if you had told me, like, oh, there's this great thing and he's never in peril, I'd be like, yeah, out of your mind. That's, there's, who cares? Where are the stakes? And those, and there are a couple of episodes where Bugs Bunny does not come on, out on top. And those suck. That's not what you want. You want Daffy Duck to never win and Bugs to always win. And that's why they're so great together is because, you know, one of them cares not at all and one of them cares way too much. It's true, Doc. I'm a rabbit, all right. Would you like to shoot me now or wait till you get home? Shoot him now! Shoot him now! You keep out of this. He doesn't have to shoot you now. He does so have to shoot me now. I command that you shoot me now! And I don't understand why that works, but yet it does, and it's awesome, and yet nobody else can do it. Nobody else can create a character like that. Maybe Van Wilder. I don't know. No, that's a horrible idea. But nobody else seems to be able to do it, and yet I can't even explain to you why that even works, because it shouldn't. It's like a bumblebee. It shouldn't be able to fly. Oh, and so I, uh, I had a birthday. Um, I, you know, this birthday was uh, not so uh, landmarky as the last one. Obviously, you can go back and uh, listen to the podcast uh, around the same time. You can hear all about that. Uh, but um, I, I really did think I was going to be better with this birthday uh, than I have with ones in the past. And and for a while I was. 
But it, I, you know, it, the whole career thing is just, just messes with my head. Like one minute, I'm super happy that I'm unemployed because I can play video games and, oh, hey, uh, quick, uh, now in video games. Uh, okay, so, uh, just a quick video game thing. Uh, I played Deus Ex, and it's cool, but it's got a ton of problems. So I would say uh, it's about a 10 to $15 game. Uh, so when it gets down to that price, go ahead and buy it. And uh, I have been playing Mass Effect 2. And so uh, it's a little repetitive, but I really liked it, and I totally feel it was worth the $20. I bought uh, a lot of dialogue trees, uh, very sci-fi, but very good, like, uh, creating a diverse group of aliens and not just, like, it's what, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation did, where it's like, here's a person with some dots on their head and a funny nose. Oh, okay, great. Hey, way to go, Star Trek. Way to think outside the box. You know, how crazy is it that the original Star Trek had way better aliens than the later Star Trek? Because, like, you know, the first Star Trek, like, you know, guys with horns and rock monsters and the Horda, which was just kind of this sort of uh, 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 sausage pizza lump with fur around the edge. I mean, scuttling around. Yeah, I mean, way better aliens than like, oh, I have a nose ridge. I got some dots over here. Oh, right, my birthday. Anyway, so uh, for my birthday, um, uh, anyway, uh, oh, so anyway, for my birthday, I made everybody watch uh, The Transporter 2 which uh, I have listed in, I think it's the movies episode of this podcast, and uh, how just fantastically bad it is. And it's, you know, there were parts of it that I had misremembered as going on. Well, it's just misremembered. And so, uh, but yet there were other parts I had forgotten. So I would say it washes out to be equally awesomely bad throughout uh, the movie. So if you're looking for a good, bad movie, uh, watch The Transporter 2, and uh, there's a great podcast called uh, How Did This Get Made, which really should be titled Why Did This Get Made? Because really the answer is, or the question is, why did anybody make this? Why did anybody make this a horrible turd of a movie like a Gigli or the Smurfs or, in this case, Transporter 2? But I do, I do really recommend that podcast. It's, uh, Paul Shear, his wife, uh, who is, who are both on, uh, uh, the, uh, procedural spoof NTSF SDSUV on Comedy Central. Oh, which is also a really great show. You should totally watch that. Anyway, so yes, I, at points in my life, I am totally cool with being unemployed and having zero job prospects. And then I, uh, you know, the next day comes and I look for a job and I've fucked around most of the day yesterday. So today, today, whoo, I'm going to bear down. Yeah, I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone. I'm going to get stuff done. And then I look at the jobs uh, that are available and they are nothing that either A, I am qualified or B, want to do or both. And I get really bummed out again. And I'm just like, oh, damn it, man. You know, and then it's just like, I had been really cool with like, you know, I, and look, I still have a lot of savings, but now like that pile of like available cash is, you know, dwindling and I'm going to have to start uh, selling off some things and it's going to kind of bum me out a little bit. But, but it is weird how it's just like one day 
it's it's uh hey man party time let's go and then the next day it's like you know and i'm doing that whole guy smiley thing where i'm banging my head against the keyboard and i never think i'm gonna make it oh and then i thought i was doing really well and then i saw um uh the oh i haven't even finished it yet but it's really interesting it's the uh making of south park and it's basically it's not even the it's like the making of an episode so it's a, it was an hour special on comedy central and you know knowing comedy central they'll rerun it in you know a delirium no in ad nauseum that's it and uh uh, even if you're listening to this episode in the future, I bet you they're still rerunning it. And I bet you that like, you know, 10 years from now, South Park will be in, you know, year 25 of South Park. And, uh, yeah, because, you know, one of the things that they touch on in the, the, the episode. So anyway, basically the whole episode is how they make the whole episode of the show. I mean, they touch on other things. They touch on the fact that, uh, they just, won a shit ton of Tonys for their uh, Broadway musical, The Book of Mormon. Uh, and uh, But it also, you know, it, it, it references that and it talks a little bit about how they got started and a little bit about how um, they wore dresses to the Oscars because they got nominated because they wrote the song Blame Canada for their feature-length movie. But really what this episode features on is what's it like to work – uh, for the people who make South Park. Like, what's your week like? And the reason why I say that they will still be making South Park episodes 10 years from now is because they are able to do topical episodes, right? Like, even a regular sitcom, like uh, 30 Rock or Parks and Rec or any of those, they don't, they're not able to react to the news, right? Like, whatever they do uh, is shot easily a month before it airs. Not these guys. They will sit down on Sunday or Monday or whatever, and they'll pound out, you know, what are we going to do? They haven't even written anything. They don't even know what they're going to do. It's, it's insane. And, and they will write an episode. And it's funny, too, because the way they talk about it, they're like, how did we get to this schedule of six days? Well, we started doing it in two weeks. And then we started doing it in 10 days. And well, now we're down to six days. And it's honestly, I, I would hate to work there. Because unless I was a writer, because the the guys who are animating it, they are working at breakneck speed. And how all of them don't have carpal tunnel, I have no idea. I mean, it looks like a lot of fun. You know, everybody's having a good time. But I bet you there is a shit ton of disgruntled employees who last six months and then they get burnt out because just their hand aches and and they just sweating constantly because of the pressure and they're probably putting in 18 hour days and mind you i guess at some point you get into a rhythm and and you get uh more streamlined and so you 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 are able to be more efficient with your time and certainly there are fewer resources you have to generate oh by the way for those of you who are curious uh they do the whole show in maya uh, on the Mac. So um, they use a super fancy, sophisticated 3D program to animate 
2D little goofball characters cross the screen. So there you go, just in case you were wondering and you didn't see the show. But anyway, the reason I bring this up and the, is because I thought I was doing better. Like, I thought I was cool with being older and being unemployed. You know, because if you go back and you listen to the last episode, it was like, shit, man, I didn't want to, uh, you know, be wondering about what's this mystery cough all about, you know, before I turned 40. Ugh, I hate even saying it. Uh, I don't want to be unemployed before I turn 40, you know, and I got a six-month contract uh, at that time, but now I'm not, and I'm, and I'm, I thought I was okay with it, until I was watching this South Park documentary. When they show the writer's room, they show, like, five people in it. They show the executive producer, I think her name is Anne or something, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, the two creators, uh, this other woman writer, Bill Hader, who is currently working on Saturday Night Live. I have no idea how he is working on these two shows at the same time, because, you know, like we've previously, like I said, they don't put anything in the can ahead of time. So there must be overlap between these two. So maybe he only works on it, you know, three months out of the year during the summer hiatus. I don't know. And I can't imagine, you know, with Bill Hader's success that he's had lately, that he's really going to keep this going. And the fifth person in the room is Vernon Chapman. Now, you might be saying to yourself, who the hell's Vernon Chapman? Well, he's a guy I went to San Francisco State with. And he was one of these guys who was too cool for school, you know, couldn't be bothered talking to people, you know, he had his friends and that was that. And maybe I'm reading a lot into it. God knows I was 18. I think it was probably 19 by the time I met Vernon. And uh, it is weird how, like, I seem to know all the famous people who came out of San Francisco State, right? Like Alex Borstein, for those of you uh, who don't know, also from San Francisco State, I knew fairly well. Uh, uh, Vernon, I really didn't know very well at all, but I did have a class with him. Uh, God, what is it? it was the dumbest class. It was, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just making fart noises with my hands. Here we go. You want some of that? There you go. There's there's a treat. You know, I always complain when people eat on microphone. Now, now you got that in your ear hole. Yeah, you got that just like that. You got that earbud jammed in your ear. I am just inches away from your middle ear with my hand fart noises. But it is weird because I catch myself, you know, I'll just be doing this. You know, I'll be in line at the bank and I'll just... And I'll just realize... You know, the people behind me at the line... Yeah, no, okay, I'm not in line at the bank. I'm in line at the post office. Who the hell's in line at the bank anymore? Because, you know, I was in the bank the other day, you know, Angel Poon uh, from the last episode, and uh, there was nobody in behind me. I mean, there was barely one person ahead of me. Anyway, so if you're in the line with me at the post office and you hear this, uh, this is... Um, this is uh, not me farting. Oh, how great would that be? How great would it be if I could just convince everybody that I was always making hand farts? And then, then, then they're like, oh, they're like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. That's, uh, those are hand farts. He's not really making, wait a minute. His hands are full of packages. Wait, a, oh my God. Anyway, um, 
So Vernon is also uh, one of the guys who created Wonder Showsin. Uh, Wonder Showsin was a show, I think it ran on MTV for a little bit. And uh, basically what it was, was a, uh, it, it uh, had all the trappings of a kid's show. But of course it was the, just the farthest thing you could imagine from a kid's show. And so uh, they would do things like uh, the uh, precocious kid reporter. And so they would, you know, they got an eight-year-old uh, live action, eight-year-old go out into the field, and he would ask, uh, you know, uh, obnoxious questions of adults, but because he was eight or 10 or 12 or however old he was, uh, you know, nobody was going to punch him in the face. And, uh, you know, not to steal anything away from Vernon, but this is something that they sort of already did on The Man Show uh, with The Man Show Boy. And in fact, they had to stop doing it on the man show because the man show boy got too old. Right. And so like when it was, we you know the man show boy was 12, uh, nobody would punch him in the face, but you know, when he was 16, they were like, uh, maybe I could take this kid, even though he was, you know, 300 pounds at 16. Anyway. Uh, so, Oh, one of the other things about wonder shows and was, uh, they used to have a puppet and they would, um, run up to people with the puppet and ask them again, obnoxious questions. And, um, I, you know, I, I again have all this deep seated resentment against Vernon. And so, um, I, I, a, uh, when you watch a lot of shows week to week, it, it's fine because you, or are waiting for the next installment. And so you've kind of forgotten about what somebody did the previous week. Uh, and in some shows, that's a detriment because a lot of shows do require you to remember a lot of things week to week to week. And, and they reward the people who do that and can do that. And then the really good shows are like, well, it's great if you do, but it's okay if you don't remember it. But if you watch Wonder Shows in and you get it on DVD from Netflix and you pop it in and you watch three episodes in a row, you're like, oh, this is a formula. I get it. You do the Precocious Kids segment, you do the Puppet segment, and then you do this other segment. Okay, that's great. Again, super bitter. Uh, uh, and, uh, when Wonder Showsin went off the air, I thought, I, I, again, I know I'm a small, bitter little man, but I was happy because I was like, good. You know what? You, you had a good run. You are out of my life. I don't have to think about you anymore. I don't, you don't have to remind me what a failure I am. You are, I, I am done with you. Get out. So I was really thinking I was free of Vernon Chapman in my life. I'm sorry, let me rephrase this. Emmy award-winning Vernon Chapman. Uh, he won, he used to be a writer on, uh, the uh, Chris Rock show. And, uh, I got to see him up on stage with it, holding his Emmy and me going, you son of a bitch, you goddamn son of a bitch. Uh, and, um, I have uh, no idea if, if Vernon, he must be talented, right? He has to be. I mean, I never saw any sign of it in college, but, you know, we weren't in that kind of class. So I don't know. Maybe he is talented. He must, he's gotta be, right? Cause he went, I heard something that he was working on, like, 
the Keenan Ivory Wayans show. And then when that got canceled, he immediately got picked up to the Chris Rock show. And now he's a producer on South Park. And, um, he's got an odd bit of facial hair. I can, I feel good about my facial hair is better than, and by the way, my facial hair sucks and it's still better than his facial hair. But I, anyway, I thought I was free with him, free of him, free with him. Hey man, I'm free. I'm free with you, man. Uh, but I'm not. He's still haunting me. And, you know, the, like I said in the past episode, um, I'm sure he's, he's probably way cooler. He's definitely fatter. You know, he's got to be, like, in a better place in his life, which highlights how much I need to go to therapy because I am still not in a better place. I'm still in the same angry, screwed-up place that I've been for 20 years. Oh, but good news. Uh, Miriam's got a lead on a woman who's supposed to be uh, highly recommended and really good and cheap. I know, right? You never get that. You get people like me who are cheap, who are fuck-ups. Just seeing Vernon again, it just bums me out because it's just like, I don't know. Like, I look at him and I just see us, like, back at state, you know, in the same place at the same time and like he went off to LA and has this amazing career and all this stuff and I'm sitting here unemployed, untalented, angry, you know. And then part of me is like maybe I'm drinking too much. I mean, I know I'm drinking too much. I know I'm drinking too much. But I love it. I love it. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it just like you know, all these things about me being angry about, um, you know, my job and my, what the state of my career and all that, it just quiets it, right? It's almost like there's a voice in my head where alcohol just kind of shuts it up for a little while. And I know I shouldn't be drinking so much, but then, oh, but then, so I was listening to uh, Jay Moore's podcast, also great. If you want to listen to podcasts, Jay Moore's podcast, More Stories, uh, M-O-H-R, obviously. Uh, and, uh, and if you haven't read Jay Moore's book, Gasping for Airtime, it really gives you a good, solid sense of what it's like to work on Saturday Night Live. Fantastic book. Anyway, I was listening to his podcast, and he had, a, he had the guy on who is now uh, hosting Loveline. Uh, Loveline, if you haven't heard it in a while, uh, that's the show that Dr. Drew used to host with Adam Carolla, and then Adam Carolla quit to go do other things. Uh, and, um, and so they had the guy on who used to do that. And, you know, every once in a while, I feel like oh, I really should just ease up on the drinking because, you know, and, I, and I'm not drinking an insane amount, right? Like, I usually wait until after I walk the dog, so I usually don't start drinking until like four. And, uh, but this guy used to do a crazy amount of drugs, just every drug and drink and just everything. And he's fine, healthy, happy, just cruising around, loving life. And I'm just like, shit, man, if I love drinking so much, like, I mean, how bad for it could you be? I mean, of course, everybody's different, right? Like, you know, certain people's livers can take it and others can't and all this stuff. But I don't know. I, I mean, I, I know, I know, I know. And maybe when I find a job, hopefully when I find a job, I'll back off on the drinking. Hopefully when I get into therapy, I'll back off on the drinking. Hopefully 
I'll get less angry, you know, because I don't even have a reason to be, I mean, uh, A, okay, that's true. I don't have a reason to be angry, but even more so, I don't have like, you know, it's not like I'm a stand-up comic or I'm a this or a that where I'm like, well, if I lose my anger, I'll lose my edge. No, no, I've got none of that. And, And if it means I'm not angry and I'm not doing this podcast that two people listen to, fine. I would definitely take my happiness over, you know, I mean, yeah, over the podcast. I would definitely take my happiness over the podcast. There you go. Okay. So I realize super short episode, but it's, you know, it is weird. Like I read, I read all my notes, got it all out. I'm good. Um, Oh, so uh, not to end the episode on a sour note. um, But (laughs) yeah, because all that other stuff I just did was totally uplifting. Rock and roll. Uh, um, I was gonna. So I have recorded this uh, episode a couple of days after my birthday. Uh, Originally, the idea was uh, I was gonna do rip-off episodes of the show uh, from Zay Frank on my birthday, and then I ditched that idea in favor of doing the podcast on my birthday. Uh, But um, one of our cats died on my birthday and uh he went in uh to get his teeth cleaned and uh when they uh when they do that for cats they have to anesthetize them because there's just no way to clean a cat's teeth while he's fighting you and you're wrangling and you've got this sharp item and i mean they just have to knock him out and he was older he was 11 and a great cat um but the the only reason I mention this, look, because I'm not here to bum you anybody out, but the reason I mention it is he was 11, not, you know, not knocking on death's door, but n- not a young, n- not a youngin either. So uh, I guess what I'm just trying to say is uh, if you're going to get your teeth, your cat's teeth cleaned, do it while they're young, uh, because the older they get, the more problems they're going to have, uh, the older they get. And um, if it gets to a point where you do need to put them under, just be prepared. Be prepared that they may not come back. Um, So we still got one cat. We still got one crazy dog. Uh, We're still chugging around the track, uh, trying to to make everybody happy. Uh, But so anyway, I'm sorry for bumming everybody out. I just uh, felt like... You know, I needed to put it out there because if I knew it and I didn't tell you, gosh, you know, that would that would really suck. Uh, but, you know, he had he had he had nine good years with us. Uh, he had two that put him in a shelter and God knows. Oh, you know what? Let me give you let me give you a, a, a thing I learned from him. When I met Bailey and that was our cat's name, uh, we we were, you know, we were looking for another cat and and one of the places we went, it's just a big cage, right? Probably, I don't know, 10 feet by 10 feet, maybe even bigger. And they just had all the cats in there. And, you know, the, the real angry ones would just be, mm, you know, hissing and angry in the corner. And there were others that were just running all over. But Bailey came up. I sat down in the middle of the room. And Bailey walked in and just sat on my lap. And that was it. And we always said, uh, you know, he was always the greatest marketer. 
And so maybe, maybe that's something, shit, man, how do I do that? How do I sit in the lap of somebody who can hire me? How can I be so awesome of a marketer as my uh, long lost cat? There's got to be a way. I got to figure out how do I get in that lap and, and bite the finger. You know, he, bought, he bit my finger a bunch of times, which I found endearing, even though in hindsight, it was kind of messed up. But uh, how do I bite the finger, but not the whole hand of an employer to this show? I'm like crazy and fun and awesome and loyal, loyal to the end. Hmm. All right, I'm going to work on that. Yeah, now I've got some inspiration. Now I'm fired up. Damn it, in death, I shall learn. Okay. <laughs> so from me, from the music of Bright Brown, from Bailey the Wonder Cat, God love you. It was nice knowing you. Let's do this one more time. Till then. I am listening, I am listening from the depth of my-